0: Chafee, Adam, are y'all there?
1: Austin, Texas. Here I sit next to my friend Adam. We are behind the mic in the I've Covered Castle. The birds on Build a Landlord's Bird Feeder have all gone home to bed and we are very excited for episode 94 of One Magical Hour. We will feature probably some avocado reviews today and we'll explore people's love for Matthew Rampey describing aloud the plots to Disney movies and uh, we will we're, we're gonna go deep on John Patrick Shanley I know that'll be excited for everyone involved I'm talking about Adam and I but first we got to introduce this guy he is the pride of Tarzana California he has mandibles like the Predator He's Matthew Rampy. hello Matthew
0: oh i would do anything for this podcast but i won't do that no 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 i won't do i would do anything for this cast anything you've been dreaming of but i just won't do that i'm talking to you alex
1: what is what is that no one knows
0: you didn't know what the song was? No. What is that? What is the thing you won't do? Oh, you're right. Uh, we haven't come across it yet.
1: I mean, I think that the prevailing, the mo- the most popular answer to that question is butt stuff.
0: <laughs> Which... I mean, I feel like I feel like this cast has included butt stuff. We, we try to be inclusive. It's true. I think uh, I'm laying it all on the table. So
1: you shouted out, you shouted out Alex Battles, which makes me think maybe what you won't do is shorten shorten the theme song just a tiny little bit. <laughs> no, I shortened
0: the theme song. You did, you did shorten it. I did the last the last cast. I just faded it up right where he starts saying one magical hour. Uh Matthew. I see. Schrefer. So it goes. It goes right. There's no lead in. So it t- it cuts it it clips it to like twenty seven seconds.
1: It's interesting. Uh, there are a lot of opinions, right? Some people feel very strongly about the length of our introduction, and some people some people appreciate it. Some people think it's a little too long. Some people, like Alex and Matthew and Schaefer, just kind of you know worry a little bit about these things because they worry about every little detail of the podcast. But I think. I love our introduction. I love it. Uh, I love each and every moment of it. Um, and I think I think that that's probably the prevailing attitude. Uh,
0: I, I'm. I think we could do like a ten or fifteen second theme, and then sometimes we do the like when we don't when we didn't record when we only recorded forty three minutes, then mm. we play the whole theme. It's they do that on sitcoms. They've got a yeah. short intro and a long intro, depending on how much content they have. But... Um, I only... Of, Alex Battles uh, suggested it. He suggested shortening. The, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, no, and yeah, that's... I mean, it's, you know, all, the, all of this... All of the echoes in this feedback chamber we have created that is One Magical Universe. You know, uh, we, we get a lot of sometimes contradictory advice... So we try to take it all to heart. You know, it's all important to us. But I, you know.
0: Well, like you pointed out with naming the shows, some of us name the shows and some of us edit the show. That's true. (laughs) So, you know. And
1: you you edit the show, great,
0: It's a great community right up to a point until somebody just pulls the trigger. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, Um, what's great is that we're still workshopping it and we are still putting the, continuing to put excellent touches on the show. Right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. we're uh, You know, I think, you know, episode 100 is coming up. Uh, put it on your calendar because Ada Limon is our guest for that episode. We're super excited about that. And, uh, but, so, you know, even at episode 100, we're still improving. We're still working, working out some ideas. We're still questioning some things and addressing some things. But uh, if if we weren't still doing that at episode 1000, I would
0: be surprised. It's just like life at 45 where you thought you'd be grown and have some (laughs) stuff figured out, but you don't like you continue to sort of kind of be the same person that you always were. And uh, you know, you're always struggling with those things. And then life just continues to present you with those things where like, I just thought I would have a lot of things sorted and I keep having to make decisions in life. Just keep I remember having to make decisions along the way.
1: <laughs> I remember when the age that I thought I was going to have everything figured out was 12. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, I don't know if I had a, I had an older figure in my life who was 12 or something. I remember, I, I remember really, you know, one of the places where I was having this conversation with myself was at tennis camp, in the summertime in San Antonio, Texas. So maybe there was an older tennis player who was 12. I don't know. I was like, you know, I there's a lot that confuses me about the world, but soon I will be 12 and I will have it all figured out. And, you know, I'll, <laughs> and I'll have a fantastic
0: kick serve. And, you uh, know, when you say it like that, though, I think what happens is the complexity of the thing that you have to figure out increases as you get older. <laughs> Like when you were that sort of preteen kid, what you thought you were going to figure out at twelve was maybe some basics, and maybe you did. Maybe you had quite a few things figured out at twelve, but the complexity of the thing—like you didn't have to fill out any like, you know, uh, private contractor tax forms. There's just there just keeps you know there just keeps being. Levels of complexity of stuff you have to deal with, I think, as you go along. Listen, this. let's bring this point back to we, we were considering the length of the theme song because I think people like it when we get right into the content, which like, we should do now with our, our friend, our super fan, Adam Wentworth, here with us again for the second time and possibly should have been the third time um hi adam we are
2: hello good to be back <laughs> uh i was gonna say something about uh the opening song that was great and uh the meaning that was uh meatloaf bad Outta hell the deuce correct
0: was that That's- the name of the album
2: yeah bad outta okay. hell okay the deuce
0: the, the only deuce. time i ever
2: the, well Number 2. Whatever. It was
1: it was the sequel to his first <laughs> record, Bad Out of Hell.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, I see.
1: He just he really couldn't he couldn't be bothered spending time thinking of another right, title.
2: Right. But do you remember that music video? <laughs> so lazy. Uh, um, vaguely, music video? yes he like so i the only time i ever called into a radio or the second time i ever called first time i called into a radio station they were like what is the meaning of this song and i was like and i called in told the dj i was like have you seen the video he plays a vampire that doesn't want to like turn the girl into a vampire but that, i don't know that's just the video but who knows what hmm. it really means
0: hmm well, I mean, th- that's a sentiment that we all have, I think. Like, <laughs> we all would do anything for love except to a certain point, right? There's all, except, there, we all have, we all have something that we wouldn't do for love, I think. Except turn people into vampires. I would definitely turn people into vampires for love. Like, for, I wonder,
3: um,
1: I wonder maybe there's a larger <laughs> story about the arc of a relationship. If you get into a relationship, you know, one of the big problems with a relationship is familiarity. Like, you get to know each other too much, and then some of the mystery disappears from the relationship. Are you, so it's are you talking about like, you and Adam? It's sort of like becoming a vampire, becoming the same as your significant other, can be the the thing that destroys the that you don't want to do. Because you know, it might seem like a good thing, but it doesn't. It will. We'll end the relationship. You think? Maybe I'm...
2: Yeah. I mean, then you're both in Canadian tuxedos, and you're walking around with <laughs> right. uh, your hand in each other's back pockets, right?
1: Which, as a child of the <laughs> 80s, I think is the most sublime expression of love, is to walk around the mall with your hand in each other's back pockets.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. I, yes.
1: I remember. Th- I remember seeing older older people in the mall doing that and thinking wow that's love right there
0: well and possibly in tandem with that is sitting next to the person on the bench seat in the truck as it goes down <laughs> oh the yeah highway, right yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, like if you're if love, you're putting definitely. hands in back pockets then you're probably in you got to push up the console you know
1: we thought this show There's was like going be about moving down armrest
0: <laughs> turns out our show is about first, true love
1: and what it means
0: <clears throat> first i think we should address the lost episode in the room i want to remind one magical universe that uh we recorded an episode with adam which i still think we should release we have 40 minutes of that conversation um we could just we could just prepend it to this it could be 40 minutes of our previous conversation, and then it goes into episode 94. Let's save it Something. make it some I, sort of special,
1: special thing. It could be for... a special
0: edition. Um, but I don't know. But we talked about what we should have done, and I screwed this up, is we should have... Oh, the four of us... The four of us. Who the hell else is here? <laughs> One magical universe. <laughs> the three of us should have listened to the thing beforehand and then we could have just picked up the conversation from where we left off i can tell you that um one thing that we were talking about when we left off is adam had posed the question have you ever seen the same movie twice (laughs) have you ever gone to the same movie twice in one day um, we had a delightful conversation with Adam about movies previously, but the audio was messed up and it was decided that it would just be for the special Christmas edition download. Um, so Adam is back on episode 94. And I think that we should,
2: are we going to retread some of those topics? I'm, I'm sure we will. I mean, we could. I mean, there was a lot of Esteves talk for a bit i remember oh i forgot about oh, that's that. that's
0: right we talked about young guns three
1: yeah the young guns reboot or whatever you want to call it threequel um
2: and that he was originally supposed to be in platoon but then Alverstone couldn't get it off in time so then he cast charlie sheen because he was the younger one
1: wow well, Mia, it was too old
2: yeah, he was older than he wanted him to be. Mm. Which is funny, because if you watch that movie, Charlie Sheen looks like Oliver Stone at that age.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyway. but We can talk about anything, where we want to go.
3: Do we want to yeah, talk
2: about I- the, the drop that was the, the drop? <laughs> the drop that was the drop? Today's drop. Today's drop.
0: Yeah, tell us about today's drop. I wasn't <laughs> familiar with that.
1: Today's drop came from the movie The January Man, uh, which is by one of my... Talking about seeing movies more than once, uh, Adam and I briefly had a conversation earlier about movies that, movies that we've seen the most multiple times. You know, and my two movies are definitely Moonstruck and Joe vs. the Volcano. You've heard it in our drops here. So the other day at the bar, uh, Adam brings up The January Man, which I had always... It, it was on my radar. I love Kevin Klein. I love Kevin Klein movies, and it had like kind of a, an iconic VHS cover. It was like something that I always meant to rent but never did, and I did not realize that it was written by John Patrick Shanley, my favorite, you know, my favorite screenwriter. So last night I watched it, and this movie is bizarre. This movie, is, well, first of all, it has these rants. That like the one you heard at the top of the hour uh, by Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger? Rod right, Steiger, yeah. Just going off in the way that... And it's so much throughout this whole movie. This movie is a sort of suspense romantic comedy where this serial killer is operating in New York. <laughs> and uh, Kevin Kline is the uh, the eccentric detective going after him. Uh, Harvey Keitel is the police chief, who is Kevin Kline's brother, uh, but Rod Steiger is the mayor, and he has these over the top. She's so like, oh, "If you're gonna, what do I look like, your wife? If you, he's like, I better be. He's like, you better be your wife. You're gonna try to fuck me like that. Just this kind of almost caricatures of the you know kind of New York f word using uh over you know. Huge characters so but that's just part of it what
2: yeah and it's got an amazing cast like susan sarandon's good in it but it's and danny aiello who's always fantastic. danny Aiello's is amazing uh and mary elizabeth master antonio playing a 23 year old when she was 34 uh which is which is fine she's still you know she's still a very attractive lady alan reichman and yeah alan rickman <laughs> In a part that, like, the this is the year after Die Hard came out. Yeah, okay, 89. Yeah, and he's yeah. like...
1: Well, all of these people are coming off these huge triumphs. Kevin Kline is coming off of A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah,
2: he just won the Academy Award the uh, year before. John Patrick
1: Shanley is coming off winning Moonstruck. the Academy Award for Moonstruck. Uh, uh, uh,
0: Susan well, Sarandon Harvey- had uh, Thelma and Louise, maybe?
1: Well, that was ninety one. That would have been later. But, so that's two years oh, later. I mean, she's kind of you know her Susan Sarandon, Harvey Keitel, Danny Yellow, These are Rod Steiger. But this these, is the
2: same year that Susan Sarandon does Bull Durham as well. So I'm not sure where that came out, but she was big in that movie. Anyway, just a ton of people just yeah. at the top of their game, and Alan Reichman's
1: character just he seems he's so shoehorned. He plays he plays Kevin Klein's artist neighbor who. Uh, kind of just almost seemingly to get under uh, da- the lieutenant, the Lieutenant Danny Aiello is the lieutenant in charge of of Kevin Klein's you know eccentric detective character, and you know it's, it sort of seems like just to get under his skin that Kevin Klein has Alan Reich has Alan Reichman put on the payroll and brings him in to like paint weird butterflies and birds on his (laughs) office in the, in the police station. Yeah. Yeah. And it's full of, so this is what I was thinking. It's interesting. uh, What, what it doesn't have as much of when you think of a John Patrick Shanley movie, like Moonstruck or Joe versus the Volcano, there's this very, this very poetic speech, very poetic dialogue, very, uh, and, and eccentric and kind of obtuse, uh, dialogue. However, and there's a little of that in here, but really this it, this movie is an eccentric narrative. Yes. Like everything like the, the decisions to just put this uh this uh random artist in there or you know, the fact that uh the, the fact that the the serial killer not to spoil too much the serial killer like uses zodiac signs to and create a con- pattern and of
2: constellations, and yeah, and
1: there's the early use of use of graphic computer graphic imaging, uh, It just yeah. and uh, this, yeah, oh yeah. And, but this movie is never it's it's less than the sum of its parts.
2: It's almost like all the actors read the script, but they didn't know if it was a comedy or it was a drama, and so Kevin Kline kind of plays it as a comedy. And then everybody else <laughs> is kind of just like New York, yelling at each other, like chewing every bit of the scenery. You know, and um, Rod,
0: Roger Ebert said, it wants to be zany, but violent, satirical, but slapstick, romantic, but cynical. It wants some of its actors to rant and rave like amateur tragedians and others to reach for subtle nuances.
1: Yeah. Now, all of these wow. actors perform well. And some of them, like Danny Aiello had some experience with John Patrick Shanley, you know, in Moonstruck. And I think he's the one who feels the most at home in this strange universe. But what was kind of interesting to me was, I feel like I was just thinking about, you know, Moonstruck and Joe versus the volcano are both uh, rom-coms, you know, and they're the, all of their eccentricities really are in, uh, are in, in the dialogue. And then I think, you know, his idea here was to kind of subvert the New York, you know, the New York police movie. Uh, And he did it, you know, with narrative, but not so much. And so I was just wondering if uh, the difference would be in choosing to try to put his art and his creativity into a plot rather than into the dialogue. I guess I'm not I'm not expressing
0: myself well here, but this does is any of podcast. that make sense to you? This is this is yeah, the place would... where you need to express yourself. Yeah, yeah. It,
2: it, it, yeah, I I understand what you're saying. It's it it is. There's some very odd choices in the movie, for sure. And at the beginning of the movie, Kevin Klein disgraced because he set up spoiler alert by his brother and the mayor that he like took money, like he was a dirty cop, and that's why he had to quit but he's a firefighter at the beginning of the movie like he just transitioned into being a firefighter and like saves this kid it there, there's just some times where like should i be laughing should i be laughing you know i and like and also the other thing is, is kevin klein great actor but he's doing this weird new york accent in the movie that kind of can take you out of the movie where it's where oh. it's just you're oh. just like well I mean, he's a fantastic actor. You know, he's like he had just done like Silverado, like what a year or two before this. Uh, that's Silverado what he. That's so what he good. was coming off of, um, which is a fantastic western.
1: I need to watch that one again. With very like, soon. That's
2: one of Kevin Costner's early roles, oh, yeah, and that dang. might have been Kevin Costner's first western, I think. John Cleese. <laughs> yeah, John Cleese is hilarious in that movie.
1: So. Did you and something interesting? You know, Moonstruck is about two guys in love with the same two brothers in love with the same woman. Yeah, January Man has two brothers in love with the same woman. And I was actually thinking, you know, uh, even Joe versus Volcano has that thing where Meg Ryan plays the two sisters. Oh, yeah, that's and true. she was asking him, like, did that's you sleep with my sister? I didn't like, put that together. John Patrick Shanley has something going on here. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, this is very much a John Patrick Shanley movie, and the so to me. The thing that I would think would be interesting for our listeners, as I tell you, this movie is a disaster, but I think it's still somehow worth watching.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like a train wreck or a car wreck. You kind of like can't stop watching it, but you can't keep figuring it out. But yeah, I mean, there's weird choices like the end of the movie. The killer is... uh, you can't do this today, but is in blackface. It's blackface. It's, it's not addressed at all. It's not addressed at all, and it's Kevin Kline's stunt double. If you look <laughs> in, in the credits, wow. it's, it's very, it's very, it's very strange. The thing
1: is, like when they're rolling around in the climax, I was trying to get a look at his face because I thought there was going to be some kind of reveal. Like, right. oh, it turns out that it was Harvey Keitel the whole time. Right, and that's what Which you kind we, of think. You, you think something think like that, that's like, going to happen. You think that but, it's going
2: to be like. Yeah.
1: Nope. It's just a guy with shoe polish on his face. And and, and one of
2: the lines in the movie is just like, he's a nobody. Kevin Klein says. And so, you know, usually when you're watching a murder mystery, it's like, you're trying to figure out what the murder mystery is. And at the end, the rug gets pulled out and it's just a guy in blackface that nobody cares about. And you've never seen him (laughs) at one second through the entire movie.
1: No, no, no motive is explored. No, No, nothing, nothing.
2: Yeah. And the serial killer, it's called January Man because he catches him in January, but the serial killer's been killing a woman a month for eleven months straight. And that's why they have to bring disgraced best detective on the force, Kevin Klein, back in to solve the murder, which he does in about two weeks.
1: But why wasn't you know, if this guy's so obsessed with calendars and stuff, why didn't he start in January?
2: And then yeah, it's December? I I know, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah, there's <laughs> uh there's some odd choices in the movie. It they, is it is entertaining. It's an entertaining watch. And also Siskel, or Ebert I I read this later that Ebert like rewatched the movie 3 years later and then he said, "Nope, I stick by it. This is the worst movie ever made." <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think that, that that's true, but like it is it, it is it, an astoundingly
1: bad <laughs> movie, especially for like you know, the, obviously John Patrick Shanley is a great writer. Yeah. Norman Jewison produced the movie. Like, I don't know the, what that director did.
2: I I, I, I can't remember what that but director all did. All of well, these great
1: actors. It's astounding. It's just astounding that this movie could not be good with all of that
0: going for it. Yeah. I hate to upset the apple cart here, but some people consider Joe Versus the Volcano not the best movie of all time. That is
2: that's bananas That's that is that's,
1: absolute insanity that's
2: total bs i, I <laughs> yeah you're you you so wait <laughs> wait
0: wait a second so you guys are not aware of that opinion of that movie oh no i or I'm you just disagree aware. so strongly that it doesn't sort of exist disagree strongly i,
2: I yeah that that <laughs> okay. movie is a delight dan hedaya is a delight
1: saying that, that you don't you don't like that movie is basically saying you don't have a sense of humor to me. Yeah. Like I th- you, you must not get not just the joke, but you must not get any joke.
2: Well, and I think if you like revisit, hmm. I think, I think when it came out, it was billed as this thing, which it wasn't, you know, people were like, it's, you know, John Patrick Shanley. I don't think they were looking for it to be just like this kind of farce.
1: Like, they were looking for an artistic master, serious artistic masterpiece. Like Moonstruck was, but it was it was it was a slapstick. It was there's so much you know, so much referential to like the Cary Grant. Oh yeah, sort of comedies and like bringing up baby, like the, pl- the ball comedies of the
2: playing 30s. different
1: characters. Yeah. Uh,
0: As yeah. a young man, when I first saw that movie, I didn't get it, and I can see how it can be. In the same way that the January man is like all over the map, Joe versus the volcano is a little, literally all over the map. Literally all over the map. Yeah. uh, You know, um.
2: but it's got such a great story. It's like a guy that's got like, starts off and it's like 16 tons. What do you get? And he's like walking this windy road, doing this this, this terrible like job, then like decides to go for freedom and art, you know, basically like just follow, he thinks he's going to die, you know, so he's just going to live his life. And by that freeing himself up, you know, he like has this wonderful adventure, you know, which is, you know, it's like Joseph Campbell. It's the hero's journey. Right. You know, so, I mean, I mean, I get it. Like when it first came out. The what, jo- what? The
0: jo- Wait, <laughs> Joe is the embodiment of the hero with a thousand faces. Joe Banks. And the, I mean, yeah, he, is Joe it's is a real he, he, hero's yeah. journey stuff. Okay. Yeah. Have you read that book, yeah.
2: the, the Man of a Thousand Faces?
0: I have. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Jo- Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, it's yes. fantastic. Yes, and it. I mean, it definitely. Uh, you see the pattern over and over, and mist yeah. through time. Yes. Right up to Joe versus the volcano.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean. <laughs> I mean, listen, the first time I saw Joe vs. the Volcano, I definitely was like, uh, I don't know. But then when I saw it, I think in my 20s, I like rewatched it because a buddy of mine was like, this movie's hilarious. You got to give it another shot. And I was like, okay. And then we watched it. And I think I was just seeing it not as a, I guess I was like a teenager in high school when it came out, but then yeah, watching right. it five years later and actually working an actual job and having friends that are artists and whatnot. I think it, then I was like, oh, now I get... What this is, you know. I would say...
0: When I I saw it many years later, I also was like, oh, I I certainly see the value in that film.
1: When I first saw it, I enjoyed it. But I I also understand, you know, people thinking that it was a little silly. Uh, I did actually see it more than once in the theater. And that was kind of just because, you know, kids... Same day? Kids wanted it. Not same day. (laughs) Kids wanted, but, you know, you want to go see it... You go see it with somebody on Friday night and then on, you know, Sunday, you know, another group, you know, a couple others from your friends want to go see it and you want to go with them. So, you know, it's just kind of, you get outvoted basically. I might have picked a different movie just to see a movie I hadn't seen. But it, it, it meant that I was familiar with the text and familiar with the work. And so when I got my ACL reconstructed in high school, just a couple of years later... I woke up from general anesthesia and they kept, you know, at the time I would, they put me under fully at the time they didn't have the same. It was a little different back then. And the way they can kind of just knock you out and wake you right up today. They couldn't really do it back then. So I kind of slowly, I spent about, about 24 hours slowly coming out of this general anesthesia in this hospital in Corpus Christi. And there was, I couldn't really move, you know, and I was, you know, under a lot of, you know, sedation, feeling weird, you know, under, under a lot of drugs. And there was a closed circuit channel in the hospital that was just showing Joe versus the volcano over and over and over again. And so I spent about, about 18 hours whacked out watching this movie over and over again. And that's
0: really, how that when it, would work when it, its way into your psyche. When
1: it became the, the, one of the seminal movies of my life. And, uh, and I, you know, I became very intimate with
0: it and, uh, woven into your subliminal teenage that's what I drew, mind, you know.
1: And at the time, I didn't. I, at the time, I was still a big Moonstruck fan, uh, and I didn't. But I didn't know that the association between the two of to, two of those movies. Uh, and then later on, you know, it's you, you realize it, and you're like, oh, of course, you know, the poetry of the dialogue is so apparent, and just why those, why those, both of those movies are so special because of the dialogue. Because uh, John Patrick Shanley's fantastic command of
0: language. Yeah, 100%. I, I want to revisit <clears throat> both of those movies
2: now. Can I watch those with my kids? Joe vs. Volcano definitely. Yeah, for and, sure. and Moonstruck, yeah, Moonstruck too. Moonstruck, yeah. yeah, it's. You
1: might have to answer a couple of questions, but. But we're answering a lot of questions anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, Griffin didn't ask
0: too many questions about. The Blue Lagoon, huh? Um, No, I mean, because that's all, (laughs) you know, that makes all, all makes sense. He was like, those people are wearing diapers. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I I want to, um, I, I want to touch on something that we lost in the lost episode but uh, absolutely yeah just real quick this is gonna be just a real quick segment this is gonna be let me get a beat for this segment this is from the lost episode uh what did you guys think about tenant how do you rate tenant
2: this
1: this is Uh, gonna be a whole episode about uh, the worst films ever made (laughs) that's what we're just gonna do okay
0: yeah. Uh, did everybody out there? Did everybody out there in one magical
2: universe enjoy *Tenant*? Oh, I haven't seen way. it.
0: Oh. I haven't. Well, again, I haven't
2: seen it. So. Yeah. Well, um. I'll say it again. I think that. Uh, I think Christopher Nolan hates his audience. <laughs> uh, it, it just like it's the movie, is there's so much, there's so much potential there, and it's just a big goose egg. It's really upsetting kind of like well i don't know i think i enjoyed january man more than i enjoyed i would say
1: that's definitely true you know uh (laughs) all the tenant has going tenant is an amazing looking movie and
2: and the effects are amazing i mean like he like people are attractive yeah
1: but the dialogue is so bizarre as I, i wouldn't be able to tell you if the acting was good or not because they were saying just like nonsensical dialogue to me. Like I never understood what was going on in that movie at any point. So it's hard to say whether the acting was good because yeah, we were just uh, it's hard to judge adult human beings behaving bizarrely and saying things adult human beings would never say. Like what, where's the acting there? I don't know.
2: Well, and part of yeah that and just like it seems so pushed together. It's like the main character. It's like why is he in love with? this woman that he's met for a very short amount of time, but he's willing to risk his life to save her from Kenneth Branagh's character who, you know, Kenneth Branagh is great. He does a good Russian accent, but it's just, I don't know. The movie, I mean, I'll watch it again, but I'll probably come to the same conclusion. Not because I think there's something to figure out. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I've never been so angry and frustrated watching a movie that I normally would enjoy something like that.
1: I watched a 20-minute careful recap of the movie Tenet <laughs> on YouTube, and there are still, like, three gaping, inexplic- inexplicable pro- uh, plot holes just... Just like here in this a, podcast. Even with a careful breakdown.
0: no. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. I can't wait to I can't wait to watch that with the kids.
1: <laughs> you know what? I look forward to you guys uh, with you guys going to movies in the movie theater.
2: Yeah, um, uh...
1: we are so close to being able to do that.
0: Yeah, we're right yeah. on the precipice of that, my friend. I mean, I think uh, our our theater's open. Yeah, They are reopening quickly, yeah. uh, yeah.
2: There's some that are open. Uh, Galaxy Highland has been open for quite a few months now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm so excited for the new Dune. They just said that that's not going to come out on HBO Max at the same day. They're going to put that in the theater, you know, which I'm really... You know, that's one of my favorite books of all time, you know, so... I'm excited. And what's crazy about that is like they decided not to shoot it back to back and then only shot the first half of the first book. So people that don't or do know it, I think are just going to walk out and be like, oh, my gosh. I wonder if they're kicking themselves that they didn't have both of them in the can because of COVID now. Because now to like ramp up production and get everybody back together and rebuild those sets two years later now after it was shot, that seems like monumental undertaking if this movie doesn't do bananas in the box office if it does terrible i see that not being a sequel yeah not Not finishing the book you know which would be which travesty
1: man part of me wants to just wait i could be really annoyed if i only see half of it yeah and just for the rest of your life there's only half a movie
2: yeah so it's like i'm trying to guess where it's going to end and it's probably going to end right when you know He goes to the Fremen, right? And before he becomes Muad'Dib. But, you know, it looks fantastic. But the new Bond, that looks fantastic.
1: The new Ghostbusters.
2: Oh, yeah, new Ghostbusters. Top Gun Maverick. It's like everything from... Oh, (laughs) so excited (laughs) about Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Brian and I I were talking...
0: I I at the end of the show I wanna do a poetry corner uh based on Dune. I'm gonna read Goodnight Dune at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh I'm not sure what that is, but I'm guessing from the title it's well, Goodnight F- Moon you're, rewritten You're with familiar Dune. with
0: Good Night Moon, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I am extremely excited about that.
0: So that's a little pre-promotion. You might want to hang on through all the movie talk to get to that one magical speaking, universe. Speaking of filmed media and pre-promotion, our friend
1: Jameson did an interesting little short film, a very very bizarre little thing based on the work of Ralph Waldo Emerson, and we are going we have received permission to put it on our Facebook page so that everybody out there in One Magical Universe can watch it, and then in a few weeks we will have Jamison on to discuss it. So be sure to look on the Facebook page for that video so that you can enjoy the discussion that will be happening down the road.
0: That sounds exciting.
1: Uh, Another one of my favorite things about the conversation that we had, and I I don't know how we got there exactly, but talking about Uh, kind of the importance of movies with our family members and uh, just, I know, like my dad would go see any movie with us and that was a, that was a real important, almost weekly thing Uh, and then uh, I enjoyed Adam told us about watching movies with his dad
2: Yeah, I mean uh, he, uh he realized that i was really into movies and kind of the same weird sci-fi and kind of was down for anything so he used to uh he used to like he would rent movies from dj video and then on sundays he would like come home from the bar he would work at a bar at night he was a farmer dairy farmer but then he adam's at from bar. iowa
0: i think we should i think we should tell everybody that that doesn't know adam's from iowa uh, yes. It's a, far, it's a farm story.
2: Yeah. And so, like, he would come home and then he'd wake me up and be like, hey, act sick tomorrow morning and don't go to Sunday school. And then I'd watch things like Lethal Weapon <laughs> and, you know, just whatever he rented. Because he would – usually he would come home, start the movie, and then fall asleep, like, halfway through it or something and be like, oh, he would stop it and be like, Adam's going to like to watch this and I need to – we'll just – Watch it together in the morning. So, it was a lot of that, like the first Alien. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of probably things I should have seen, shouldn't have seen too, too young, like Conan the Barbarian. You know, <laughs> I told that story as well, where I planted uh, a garden hoe in my brother's head after I'd seen, seen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Conan the Barbarian, and uh, I ran, I ran. How's, how's your brother doing these days? <laughs> he's, he's he's doing fine. He's doing just
0: mm. fine. But that's that's so cool that your dad would like wait and share those experiences with you.
2: Yeah, I. Uh, do you think great.
0: that that? Do you think that that
2: helped foster
0: your love for movies?
2: I think most definitely. You know, I think you know, uh, I think that's what really got me into movies was was that, you know, just like, you know, he would just, and he would just bring up the weirdest stuff and sci-fi. I mean, like, he was really into Doctor Who, which I still could never get into, like, on PBS. He'd be like, stay up and watch this. But he'd, like, make me stay up and watch. Because back in those days, it's like we had three channel, or four channels. And at, like, midnight, they'd play the old Monty Python on PBS. So sometimes he'd wake me up. watch old monty python sketches to see (laughs) if i thought it was funny or not and then when me and my brother found it funny it was like okay like this is i'm raising these kids right yeah we can go we can go (laughs) somewhere from here
1: (laughs) we had speaking of monty python we had a monty python video and uh it was just a collection of a couple of flying circuses i guess you know on betamax and i was watching it one day we were little kids like my, my sister must have been i guess my sister was probably 6 or so so i would have been about 10 and uh we were we were watching this video cassette and i remember it was the it was the cheese shop sketch i had watched and then i kind of got distracted and went off and did some other playing or something and i i heard my sister just cackling with laughter in the other room, just laughing her, you know, uncontrollably, like rolling around on the floor, holding her sides. So I went inside to see what she was watching and it was this sketch that was meant to parody Sam Peckinpah. Oh, yeah. So it was like, it's like this British uh, pastoral, like, picnic in the park where people just keep randomly getting (laughs) limbs chopped off and just bleeding everywhere. And like, like somebody's playing the piano and the piano closes on his hands and his hands get chopped off. So there's blood spurting out of both of these. My sister thought this was the funniest thing she had ever seen in her life. And it's really, there's no joke or anything. It's just really, really
2: just people, total mayhem. People getting maimed. You know,
1: except for the fact <clears throat> that it's, that it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's con, the contrast between the British, uh, you know, Period, movie and the and the extreme Sam Peckinpah violence, uh, <laughs> it it tickled Gracie's funny bone. And you know, after that, growing up, Grace has always really loved mob movies, and she like she has a relationship with screen violence that is different from almost anyone I know. And she just, just like she really loves it; it doesn't scare her it's just uh it's just exciting and she yeah she watched you know movies like boondock saints and stuff that were like kind of like frat boys favorite movies like <laughs> 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 like her favorite movie at 15 years old
2: ugh that movie's awful i can't watch <laughs> that
1: movie people swear by it i've never actually seen it's it it's
2: terrible like i remember that was one of the movies that people were just like when it came out we're like you have to watch this it's better than pulp fiction and i was like what no like, but
1: yeah is- but she also like reservoir dogs I remember, you know, I would have been, you know, eighteen, so she was fourteen when we watched that, and she just, she thought that was awesome and exciting. She loved all of those guys.
2: That was the first movie when I bought a laserdisc player when I was fourteen years old. The first movie, well, yeah, one of the first movies I bought because I had, I was working two jobs, and so I could buy laserdiscs, which were like fifty bucks a pop, and I bought. Reservoir Dogs because it was like 30 bucks and I was like I heard this was supposed to be really good and then I watched it and I was like what is this movie like it blew me away you know and then it was like you know a year later or whatever or a year and a half later like Pulp Fiction came out and I remember going to see Pulp Fiction and then just sneaking all of like my younger friends in to see it yeah there was like that streak where he came out and, you know, it was like True Romance, Natural Born Killers, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, where he was...
1: Adam, your Laserdisc <clears> <throat> collection looms legendary in my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like over a hundred or something. Like I like. I And you
1: still have a functioning Laserdisc player.
3: Yeah,
2: I've got wow. the one that's like a karaoke machine as well. So you can buy karaoke laser discs and put it in there and plug the microphone right in and
1: oh wow
2: yeah, it's it's a it's a legit legit uh thing yeah I I got like when I first moved here and I still had it uh there was uh um I'd go to half price books so you could like find them for really cheap like fifty cents two dollars or something like that because everybody was switching over to. DVDs, So it was just easier to snatch up old films that, you know, aren't, some of them never got released on Laserdisc. I mean, I remember I went to End of an Ear and uh, I picked up uh, Jimi Hendrix's performance of Woodstock for uh, 50 cents, which was a Japanese Laserdisc, you know, so, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Excellent.
1: I remember uh okay. our our neighbor or our friends and neighbors the Blackwells, David Blackwell. His uh, his dad had a huge laserdisc collection which one of them was Apocalypse Now. We watched that a few times. Uh, but he also had a a Kate Bush concert oh, wow. on laserdisc like with the Babushka song. you know, shout it out. Yeah. Babushka 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 that we watched a bunch of times and Matthew you're muted and we can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we've missed anything super great that he might have had to say but
0: No, I've I've muted myself on purpose. Oh, know. okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I was trying uh, to make signals to you. I, yeah. I doing you some... Sorry, I was doing you some were... other stuff. Over here, you
1: were enjoying the silly pantomime that I was doing, trying to tell you that
0: you were that uh, you're were muted, I, weren't you? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't even see that. I'm glad I'm recording the video. I'll look at that later. Um, That'll be definitely good. That's okay for the uh, extras. I, I was just preparing. I was just preparing for the poetry corner. Ah, uh, excellent. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: um, have Have you guys ever seen the movie The Yakuza? That's one of my favorite. Movies no. that I own on Laserdisc that I don't even know if you can get it on DVD, but it was, uh, uh, I can't think, I can't think of his name. Where's your Laserdisc th- player? At my house. You have it? You still have yeah. it? And you have your Laserdiscs? Yes. Yes. I, I watched it. I was just telling Schaefer yesterday, we were talking about Zero Effect, if we're going to go on like a private detective theme.
1: Love that movie. And
2: I was like, yeah, during when COVID first happened, I just like hooked up the Laserdisc player and I was like, I think... Zero Effect was one of the first ones I rewatched. But, what does uh, he
1: say about like his his tongue? is like, you ever do meth for three days and finally your tongue turns to sandpaper or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, I got a bunch of white spots on my tongue or something.
2: Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> Maybe it's because you only consume meth and tab. <laughs> yeah.
2: And tuna fish. That's the other thing that he eats. <clears throat> yeah. That movie's great if you haven't seen that. But the Yakuza, the guy that wrote... Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. Wrote Taxi Driver. It was the movie that he wrote before Taxi Driver. Paul Mazursky or Paul? No, no. no. Uh, Paul Schrader.
3: Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader.
2: Is. Yeah, and uh he wrote it with his brother, and it's Robert Mitchum. It's, it's a great movie. That sounds if, awesome. If you get a chance to watch it.
0: I remember when Robert Mitchum hosted Saturday Night Live, like in the late 80s or early 90s and everybody was like who is this guy? <laughs> I, I I think there was a, you know, I mean, at least uh, young people were like who is this guy? Oh, I by didn't the way, know that he did that? I didn't either. I'm yeah, that's crazy. Pretty sure I I would hate to be wrong about that. Because his last
2: few movies, like he did the Yakuza, then he kind of stopped yeah, for a while. Yeah, he
0: and was, then he, was he, in... he hosted SNL. I remember it, and it was like oh it was a gosh. little out of place. By the way, I gave a glowing review of the most recent iteration of SNL on the last episode. I don't know if anybody heard that. I hope they didn't, because I was really I really had that under the microscope this weekend when I was. Uh, watching SNL and uh, it was a return to form in terms of not being funny <laughs> I mean it's just I, interesting I, I was, I was thinking about what you said Schaefer you were like one yuck per show or something and I, <laughs> I, I, I after I had given a glowing review of the recent cast and everything I was like uh, this wasn't that great
2: well just, uh, yeah I mean I listened to you guys talk about that and it's up and down and sadly today Paul Mooney passed away who was a great oh, stand-up no. comedian. I'm so who, uh, I'm sad to hear that. He's but, great. But he was the one that wrote that sketch. Richard Pryor had him come in to write when Richard Pryor was on SNL, and he wrote that sketch where Chevy Chase is uh, interviewing Richard Pryor for a job. Do you remember the sketch, Matthew? Uh, yes. Where, where he's like, honky he ends up calling it. honky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking about that today when I was thinking about Paul Mooney and him and Richard Pryor meeting, writing on Sanford and son, you know,
0: mm-hmm. the, the host this last weekend was Keegan, Michael key, which oh, wow. um, so
2: have high
1: expectations from that. Huh?
0: I, you know, I don't find that guy funny. I, I don't know. Uh, I watched a little bit of key and peel. Uh, maybe I just don't like his particular brand of humor. I don't know. I mean also it was it's we were going from the Elon Musk <laughs> episode yeah. who is you know you, you have to write all the sketches different for sure if you're yeah. having some rando celebrity who's not necessarily a great performer and then and then you're having a, a comedic actor come and do the show so I don't I don't know I felt like it was different maybe I was Maybe I was just giving it too much scrutiny after lauding it so hard. I, mean, I would, <laughs> I would definitely have much higher expectations
1: for a show, and an esteemed sketch comedy actor was hosting. You know, versus maybe it
0: was maybe it was attempt. funny in COVID because quarantine was just such a bummer, and maybe on Saturday nights it was fun to just yeah watch SNL. Like I don't know. That that Everything, actually
1: makes sense to me. Yeah. It's all quite relative. You just need a laugh so bad.
0: <laughs> You're just looking for any kind of fun. And now I'm yeah. having fun again. I'm, I'm having legitimate <laughs> fun. And yeah, so... It, it, it pales in you, comparison.
1: You don't need to squeeze fun out of a toothpaste tube. No. No.
0: <laughs> um... Let's get back to movies. I'm sorry we're talking did, about uh, t- I did see TV that T V there for a second.
2: Of uh Keegan I saw one sketch on YouTube where he was like playing Jordan and they were doing the Oh that sketch break. was funny. I thought that was funny, but that's the only one I saw.
0: That was the best sketch of the night. There were some others where he was playing just dumb characters, I thought. I don't know. Um I, I and I can't even <laughs> It was a, it was so much of a feeling that I wrote a note in my podcasting notes, like at 1130 on Saturday, May 15th, (laughs) (laughs) revise your SNL review. (laughs) Uh, So it's all relative. So if you're trapped in a Turkish prison, SNL is a lot of fun. Almost any time, any season, any period, doesn't matter who the cast was, you get a chance to watch SNL good times.
1: See, Um, I feel like that maybe goes back to, you know, when trying to unravel the mystery.
2: So it's a real heroin up your butt story. (laughs) (laughs) Or or, uh, bath
0: salt or keistering bath salts, I like to call it. Okay.
1: Uh, You know, like, what? What confuses me about SNL is that it it has been so up and down, so spotty for so long and yet it just keeps going and it's still just a part of our cultural zeitgeist. So and like my question is why and I think like my favorite theory is the one I posited where just what else are they gonna do on TV on in Saturday night at 10:30 like this there's no you know, kids aren't awake. There's no sports on.
0: <laughs> it's a, it's a production of necessity, <laughs> <laughs> I like this podcast. Yep. Um, let's get back to movies, though. Sorry to bring up television, the small screen. Matthew, Adam, we have had so
1: much feedback, really, from a lot of people who just talk about how much they like to hear Matthew. Describe the plots of Disney movies.
0: What do you, what do you These think, are people why? that are in a Turkish prison, right? No, they're not.
2: <laughs>
1: These are people who have plenty of other things that they could be uh, listening they've to. They've got other things Why to do you do, think do, that huh? is, Adam?
2: I don't know. I find it delightful.
0: Is it because I get so excited about it?
1: Oh, it's... I feel like it's something, like... It's something in your delivery. It's. I think it's because how seriously you take it.
2: Yeah, you get kind of giddy, and uh, I think the uh, excitement is infectious.
0: You give well, them the, their, um, their due
2: consideration.
0: Okay, do you guys want a, a Disney review right now? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes. For you out there in the listening audience, that was not planned. I was saving this for uh, <laughs> I was saving this for, I don't know, a time when we didn't have anything else to talk about. No such time exists. I would like to tell everybody about a Disney Plus show that I recently watched called The Secrets of Sulphur Springs. This is a kids show that is absolutely a mashup of it's the kids Disney version of twin peaks meets lost meets whatever other hokey, like mystical show that feels like the writers are just pants on fire, just figuring it out from one week to the next. Right. It's about a family that moves from Chicago to this uh, this hotel in Louisiana near Sulphur Springs. Um, hold on. The secret of Sulphur Springs.
1: Um, Sulphur Springs. Sulphur has a satanic sort of brimstone quality to me.
0: I want to say the name of the hotel. I'm, I'm sorry that it escapes me just at the moment. Um, Do you remember the Watcher in the Woods? Yes. Disney horror movie? That scared the pants off of me when I was so, a kid. So the, these people from Chicago moved to a closed down and dilapidated hotel in, in Louisiana called The Tremont, okay, which is supposedly haunted By this girl Savannah. And she was a camper at the Tremont. Who had disappeared 30 years ago. And there's the kid. And he's in school. And he and his best friend stumble upon. In the basement of the hotel. They find behind a wall. A bunker. Almost like a. Like a world. Like a, a Cold War era uh bomb shelter type bunker and they go in there and then there's another door that they go through and then they walk through this tunnel and they come out this manhole near the hotel and but they are in the past so there's time travel which uh which a fakakta (laughs) which a fakakta plot loves right that's was probably the problem with Tenant. There was probably some time travel, right?
1: Oh, there definitely was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so they they they're at the Tremont thirty years before, and this is like coming up to the um, anniversary of the disappearance of Savannah. And there's all these kids at school who are like, "Oh, you live in the Tremont? Oh, it's haunted!" Like everybody in the town knows that the Tremont is haunted. So there's ghosts, and then there's time travel. And then, and then there's some other like mystical radio code shit. You find out that these, this radio inside the bunker is controlling the time travel. And then later in the show, they're able to travel to a different time. It really reminded, watching this show was thrilling and fun. And actually the whole fam watched it together. And the performances were like weirdly amateurish. (laughs) um and sort of bizarre like the the actors were it it had it smacked of like a movie of the week or like um or like a cable mini series like the performances weren't top-notch the kids were pretty good the adults were really weird the mom and the dad are are like i don't know they've got a real who 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 is who's starring in that (laughs) they um Nobody, you know, that's the thing is nobody, you know, and it comes to the end. They've just made one season and it comes to the end of this one season and like they go, oh, I know Savannah back in 1985 or whatever it is. Wait, what was 30 years ago? (laughs) Eight nineteen eighty-nine 1989 or something. I know that the listeners are thinking that wasn't 30 years ago Matthew but um uh, Savannah ends up going further back in time then there's this whole like uh, recursive time travel thing and um they just uh, w- I, my takeaway from this whole thing is that Disney Plus has really got a lot of great new content coming out <laughs> secrets of sulfur springs um Everybody go out and get yourself some Disney Plus and enjoy that that program. So see um, I I just wanted to show you guys that it's not really that much fun listening to me rate a Disney production. No,
1: 100%. How many avocados?
0: You know what? This is sort of like I don't learn my lesson in life, you know.
3: <laughs>
4: I
0: don't Did you guys remember watching Lost? Did y'all watch Lost? yeah <clears throat> i did not know yeah. okay when i was what you you were in new york city like living life i had already moved back to austin like trying to calm down um when watching lost i think amy and i were already together at that time and the first one or two seasons of lost were really gripping there were so many aspects of that show that were really evocative and like it could have gone anywhere, you know, like the possibilities that I, I think this is common with writers, all kinds of writers, but definitely television writers. Like you just, you want to draw people in with a, you know, with a thoughtful plot. And there were so many little like details of the hatch and the, the Dharma initiative and the, like, there's so many cool things. And then. It became clear that the writers had lost their way. And then in the end, you felt like uh, I've wasted how many hours am I? How many we're on season six? I've been with I've been thinking about this for, you know, four years. Like, and it was just disappointing in the end. I was I was wrapped up in this thing in that same way. Like, it was was pretty fun. I enjoyed it because we were watching it with the kids. I'm going to give it six avocados. Six of and the
1: you're ads. so you're afraid that Sulfur Springs might might do you <laughs> do you like Lost?
0: Oh yeah, for sure, man. It's for sure, man. I'm telling you, so the the writers of Sulfur Springs do not have a room where they have the story arc mapped out.
1: They don't have <laughs> that. I did not, you know, I heard what people had to say about Lost and I was like, "Oh wow, I will never watch that movie." I mean, show, they didn't get me, and I was, you know, I'm proud of that. However, I watched a show on HBO called The Leftovers, which was very weird and very compelling and very w- mysterious and had and the most nonsensical anywhere. ending you ever saw. And <laughs> later on, I found out that it was some of the creators of Lost, so I got I got losted by them, even yeah. though I avoided the Lost. Yeah. I was pissed. Oh, man.
2: Well, and they do... David Lindroff does... Uh... Westworld, and then he did the newest uh, Watchmen, which is fantastic. This that season of Watchmen was great. But did you know who the original character to play uh, Jack was supposed to be for Lost? The actor?
3: No. Who? Uh,
2: originally, it was supposed to be Michael Keaton, and the only reason Michael oh. Keaton took it was because Jack was supposed to die in the first episode. And then once they hired Michael Keaton, they're like, they're like, we can't kill Jack, and then he's like deuces i'm out <laughs> I'm not, it's like the whole point of me coming on a tv show was to get killed off in the first episode which so <clears throat> and you know that that's the thing about like shows like that where they you know they try to be mysterious it's kind of like i always say it's like uh, you know like when peter jackson did the hobbit i love the hobbit that's a great book but when I was like, they made it into three movies. The studio made them make it into three movies because Lord of the Rings was three movies. So Ugh, you had to like so stretch silly. out all this garbage <laughs> into yeah. like these movies, and it was just like made me.
1: I wonder if the lost. I wonder if the lost producers thought that they could pull a fast one on Michael Keaton. Be like, well, let's just tell him that he only has to do it for for one episode, and when we get him in there, then we'll break the news to him that no, we actually want you on the show all the time. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get them like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, I, I, everybody should go out and watch Sulphur Spring: The Secrets of Sulphur Springs. <laughs> I am going to watch it,
1: and uh, you are you are still batting a thousand with your descriptions of Disney
0: movies and shows. I love to hear oh, you. Thanks. I love to thanks. hear you tell them. I feel like that is by far the dumbest segment that we have, but <laughs> I, I feel like it's. Not tonight necessarily, but in the past, it's been like, "What are we going to talk about?" And I'm like, "Well, I've been watching <laughs> this show with my kids. That, I mean, it's probably interesting to people in our demographic because they're not watching these shows. <laughs> like, I'm, I am describing I am, things that maybe you haven't seen. It's like, I am not, ma- oh. Matthew, I'm
1: not making it up. That several members of One Magical Universe have told me that it's one of their very favorite parts of the show." And, you know, they're kind of, they kind of said it to me like, you know, I don't know why, but I love hearing Matthew talk, describe (laughs) Disney, Disney movies and Disney shows. (laughs) They're a bunch of sweethearts. Those listeners keep, keep listening. Matthew, were you going to read us a poem or a story or something?
0: I, I, I will, I would. Yeah. Um, Are we to that part of the show? Are we at the end of the program? I think so. Alright. Well, I want to read you guys one of my favorite bedtime stories. And um, it's a parody of a very popular book called Goodnight Moon. Goodnight Moon is a little book like a little, you know, bedtime cardboard book. That love I would that, read. Love that book. Yeah. That I would read my kids often. I love it too. And it has such a nice flow. And I've always loved this parody. You guys were talking about Dune earlier. I'd like to read you and One Magical Universe. Goodnight Dune by I Julia. you didn't know about this. No, I didn't know about it either. In by who, great... sorry? Julia U. Julia. Why Y U. In the Great No Room. There was a floating barren, and a view of two moons, and a picture of Shai Halud bursting out of the dune. And there were three Fadaikan recruits fighting in still suits, and two imperial Sardukar, and a pair of Gom Jabbar and a little <laughs> toy keep, and a young Muad'Dib. And maker hooks, and a crisp knife, and a bowl full of water of life. And a Bene Gesserit witch whispering, they tried and died. Good night, no room. Good night, two moons. Good night, shy halud bursting out of the dune. Good night, glow globe and the floating baron. Good night, recruits. Good night, still suits. Good night, Sardukar, and good night, Gomjabar. Good night, Suk Doctor, and good night, Ornithopter. Good night, Little Keep, and good night, Mwadi. <laughs> good night, Maker Hooks, and good night, Chris Knife. Good night, Golden Path. Good night, Water of Life. And good night to the Bene Gesserit witch, whispering, they tried and died. Good night, Arrakis. Good night, Sektabar. Good night, spice flows everywhere.
3: Ooh, that was wonderful. That was fantastic. Wow.
4: Muadib.
1: Muadib. Good job on those pronunciations, too. Thanks. That's what I was looking up when you were I gesturing would have been at me much more tongue tied with that than you I were. Was,
0: I, I was reviewing all the pronunciations. Dune is another film that has its detractors. Oh, yeah.
3: It's, a, it's a, David it, it's Lynch another, one, you mean. It,
0: well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's another film that like is not immediately approachable.
1: Yeah, it is an inaccessible film. Yeah. Unless you've read unless you've read the book and aren't really the, the, pretty yeah. pretty well, well steeped in the in the
0: lore. Yeah. Some things there's just too much um there's too much literature behind it to turn it into a film, you know. Yeah. Whether but, you whether you have to stretch it like the Hobbit or you have was like such a vast uh thing to like, you know Come up with a a two hour movie from. But there's lots that's super cool about the David Lynch Dune, and uh, you
1: know some stuff oh, like that yeah, for sure. That strange like steampunk production value. I think it still kind of holds up today, as you know, just uh, doing a good job of conveying otherworldly atmosphere.
2: Yeah, I mean, like the the. Worms that are the, tra- the tri- time traveler- travelers. They're, they're how they fold space-time. I always liked that. You know, Baron Harkonnen is pretty ugly. I mean, it's just got, like, some good actors in it. But that's the thing about David Lynch, you know. He's, like... I was just thinking about this the other day. David Lynch and David Cronenberg are, like, two of my favorite directors. And I think it's because they kind of, like, work outside the system. Like, Cronenberg's never really, like, worked for a studio. Everything's, like... He's kind of, you know, he's Canadian, but he works outside of that. And I think David Lynch is like, he was, you know, came from art school, you know, so it was like very different. He made, you know, his first movie was Racerhead which is bananas, you know, and then Mel Brooks sees that and then gets him to do the Elephant Man. And then George Lucas sees that and then wants him to do Return of the Jedi. And he's like, I don't think so. And he does Dune instead, you know, mm-hmm. so you know and then he goes back and then he does blue velvet you know and then starts you know goes the other way you know so i think it's like you know he's just such an artist that like you try to like put him in like a big studio picture it's just not gonna work you know he's not gonna he's not good at listening to other people tell him how to make his art i think you know and that's you know i would just that
0: (laughs) that's understandable has
1: a distinctive flavor distinctive tone
0: yeah, it's really cool. We of course we end up loving those characters. You know. Oh yeah. Who, who won't be told how their art is done? Particularly in
1: the movies, right? Because there's so there's so much of the you know, the Juggernaut studio influence that to, to get somebody who's really a renegade with movies like first of all they're really expensive to make yeah you know so it's it's not this podcast you have to you have to be you have to be a real renegade to be be a renegade you gotta you gotta be all in
2: And and i think that's why you know like you had that the break against the studio system in the 70s there's that great book easy writers raging bulls by peter biskind that he was a writer for rolling stone and like he wrote all about like you know The late 60s into the 70s when you had the auteurs and then, you know, they're saying, you know, Raging Bull is basically the last one, Easy Rider, the first one in 69 where you've got, you know, people kind of working out of the system, but all came up through like Corman. So they were doing like all this grind movies and they were. So they were working in the system, making all these like B movies, you know, just like drive in fair, but then got to cut their bones like Scorsese and Coppola and all these guys. And then when they got to have their own voice and do these stories, you know, you know, you know, the Vietnam War is happening and you got all these like artists that are just kind of not doing the studio system thing. You get all this like interesting art, you know, that's like You know, it's not like today where it's like if you look at like 2013, you know, what were the big movies? It's like you got number three of this and number four of that, you know, and it's all just like sequels because it's just like this money making machine instead of like, you know, this like uh, kind of, you know, auteur, I guess, you know, like Stanley Kubrick or somebody like that, even though he was pre that he's another one of those guys that kind of just... As like very, himself.
1: Speaking of Roger Corman and oh, Cheers, last night after January Man was over, you know, Amazon Prime recommends uh, other movies to watch next, and so I did. I pulled a double feature, even though I was pretty tired, <laughs> and because what Amazon recommended was a Peter Bogdanovich movie from 1979, produced by Roger Corman, called Saint Jack. In which Ben Gazzara plays uh, this expatriate American running a brothel in Singapore. Wow. And it is really good. Huh. Okay. It has some characters in that movie that are just hilarious and tragic and awesome all at the same time. Uh, In addition to Ben Gazzara, he's an extremely charismatic individual. Um, His kind of. Foil in the movie is Denim Elliott.
3: Oh,
2: really? He
1: plays this kind of stuffy uh, Raider, accountant.
2: Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he She's plays this delight. kind of
1: stuffy accountant. And realize he looks like he could be Colin first dad. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, kind of. Uh, he's very
1: British. He plays this stuffy Brit who comes through. He's an accountant who comes through Singapore once a year. So he kind of touch. He's how you know the time passes in the movie, and. Uh, gosh there's these hilarious this gang of just knucklehead post-colonial uh British guys who kind of pa- pa- are you know the patrons of you know this uh benghazar's uh Houseville repute uh and then some triad guys who, who capture him and tattoo him oh the movie is awesome
2: okay
0: and about pre prepper- was that just in preparation for the movie episode? You thought you'd pull a double feature? Yeah, I was like,
1: <laughs> well, really, yeah, because Matt, uh, Adam and I at the bar yesterday were talking about movies and talking about John Patrick Shanley, and after I got home, I was definitely all fired up about movies, both in anticipation of this recording and just the, com- the conversation we had at the bar yesterday. So, yes, thank you so much, Adam. Of course. Uh, this has been so exciting.
0: I'd like to watch an adult movie. But then <laughs> we'll, but we'll but do then it what would I review, very soon. But then what would I review on here? I don't that's interesting nope. to see if
1: if our listeners like you talking about adult movies as much as they I like. Don't you so. I don't think so. for some reason I
0: don't think that's near as compelling. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my Dune review when it comes up and we'll see. We'll com- Excited about that. <laughs> I feel like now that Adam has been on this podcast twice and possibly even posted once, that he'll just be back, you know? He'll yeah, he's a great I, Yeah, I mean, another best recurring thing is, character. I could easily
1: talk about movies all night long.
0: So you're certainly well, welcome to come back anytime. Just like any good movie, this episode should have a sequel. I tell you, with kids' movies, they can't get enough of sequels. They can make a sequel out of dog shit i mean i mean they can place. have like a not even a great first movie sometimes with kids movie i've noticed the sequels get stronger like like i like uh uh <laughs> what's it called you like
1: kirby goes bananas better than the love bug what
0: what's the one with uh the 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 kids of the villains i've i have i i have Oh, talked you about this on the show I'm talking about this on the show the third one of that series D- Disney's Descendants the Th- Descendants 3 is actually quite good so uh, you know is it
2: like Condor Man that was a bad joke Condor Man no <laughs> <That> was, I <laughs> forgot about Condor Man oh wow terrible who played condor man uh i I, I, wasn't it the guy that played the greatest american hero somebody famous yeah i don't remember that was a bad joke sorry interrupt with that terrible joke
0: no not at all i i that just gives me a great uh parody idea have i already done greatest american hero no i don't think so that's a good idea i love that song believe it or not i casting on air it writes itself yeah <laughs> tune in for episode 95 <laughs> adam Michael thank you Crawford. for joining us uh, thanks for having me good to see it. you on the internet yes <laughs> um chafee yes sir what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: am the Kizat Hadarak. <clears throat>
1: nope, I want. I, am the ev-
0: I want everyone listening to this to review us, please. We desperately need some reviews. I, I think yes. we're falling in the algorithms. Give to us some avocados resistance. in the forms of stars. We see that people are downloading the show. There's.
3: There's.
0: Uh, there's one fourth of the reviews of the amount of people regularly downloading the show. It's true. So there's, we think
1: there's, there's about 200 of you regularly listening.
0: If you can listen, if you can hear the sound of my voice just now, go. Apple reviews, five stars, whether they be stars or avocados, five, the number shall be. Shall not be four, shall not be six. <laughs> Five stars.
1: Also, uh, check the Facebook page for a video of the awesome uh, color color sensitive hypercolor coffee cup that Alex Battles made on our Zazzle store. Oh, nice! It's pretty cool.
0: I don't think that it's called hypercolor. What did he? What, what <laughs> did he what call? I mean. What did he call it? Um, I don't know. Those were those t-shirts, um, right? I'll tell you. It's called the morphing mug. Morphing mug. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks like a solid color, and it, when it gets hot, it reveals the graphic underneath. It's so cool. It's
3: That's featured cool.
0: in a video on our Facebook page that Alex Battles made up. Alex Battles produced a promo video uh, for one magical hour. A Matthew and Schaefer podcast, spectacular. We love you all. Adam, thank you. We love you. And uh, I just want to remind everybody that. The poorer the
2: choices, the sweeter the wine.
3: Los Angeles.
4: Of this heavy metal bird I'm in I feel uninspired By fascism and cops I know are down In the futuristic wild west With limitations And almost martial law And robots with badges And quick Draw McGraw Just lights and glitter And garbage underneath And the raging oppressed With razor sharp teeth Los Angeles
3: I